Hello, welcome back to the Sports Gamble Ramble. This is SGR number 72. My name is Joe Blair, and today we are talking about the Washington Commanders. Last year finished in third place in that NFC East. Broke down the Cowboys and Eagles already. Um, broke down the Eagles yesterday, obviously. Uh, today we're talking about former Eagles quarterback Carson Wentz. Still don't know how I feel about it, but I'm going to do my best to plow through this episode. Um, real quick, uh, recording this Tuesday, July 26th, and I do just want to mention, uh, all 32 teams have now reported to training camp. So the season has officially begun as far as these teams being in the building, having their meetings, having their practices. I couldn't be more excited. Uh, we got preseason coming up next week, Hall of Fame game with the Raiders and Jaguars. And, uh, you know, we're officially... Uh, getting ready to dive into it. I don't like that. Welcome back. This is SGR number 72. I am your host, Joe Blair, and today we're talking about the Washington Commanders. Team finished third place in the NFC East last year, so we are doing them third here. We have already broken down the Cowboys and Eagles, and I've already told you why the Eagles are going to win this division. Now we got to break down the Commanders and the Giants to round it out before moving on to the AFC North later this week. Um, this, of course, is SGR number 72, recording July 26th. That is a Tuesday. And I do just want to mention all 32 teams have reported to training camp as of today. Uh, so these guys are back in the building. Uh, we are practicing. We are studying film. We are having team meetings, and we are getting ready for the season. Can't wait. Let's break down the commanders. Last year, they went 7-10. and 10. Again, third in the NFC East. Finished 10th overall in the NFC. Did not make the playoffs. They covered at a rate of 7-9-1 against the spread. 43.8%. Not great. Almost identical to their straight-up uh, win record. The offense was 24th in points per game last year. 19.7 points per game. Kind of difficult to watch at times. Under the leadership of quarterback Taylor Heineke, of course. Um, I mentioned on my Eagles and Cowboys previews, not sure which one, that I had actually bet on Washington to be able to win this division last year. They won it in uh, 2020 with a 7-9 and nine record, and I really wasn't overly impressed with what Dallas did last offseason. I believed that this Washington team could repeat the defensive performance that they had in 2020, which led to them being um, a top two, I think, unit in the NFL, really dominating with that defensive line and that pass rush and finding ways to win essentially without an offense. Last offseason, if you remember, this team added Ryan Fitzpatrick, who, yeah, he's not a world beater. He's not a superstar quarterback. But if you compare that to the play that they were getting from the combination of um, – Dwayne Haskins, Kyle Allen, and, you know, the corpse of Alex Smith at the end of his time there. I figured Fitzpatrick's an upgrade, and if this defense can continue, I like their chances last year. All kind of fell apart. Fitzpatrick got injured week one of the season, I believe, and we were fucked from there. Again, offense 24th in points per game, 21st in yards per game, 323.6. 
The defense also took a step back last year. Chase Young, um, really an elite talent and a young upcoming star uh, defensive rookie of the year in 2020, missed a majority of the season last year, got injured early, and was a non-factor for this defense. That wasn't the only issue that they had. You know, the coverage unit was not as dominant. They actually, you know, they had a good offseason. They actually, on paper, I thought the defense was better, adding William Jackson the third last offseason. Um, but it just did not come together. A lot of inconsistency. 25th in points per game, giving up 25.5, 22nd in yards per game. And they finished with the 24th best turnover margin here at a negative five turnover rate for the season. So again, Taylor Heineke, you know, I think he has a chance to be a long-term, maybe even high-end backup quarterback in the NFL. If he's my QB too, you know, I feel okay about it. There's better situations out there. There's worse situations out there. But he shouldn't be starting. You know, they really just did the best they can last year. So um, quarterback this year is Carson Wentz. Obviously, you know, we can talk about him throughout the episode Definite upgrade over Heineke, won't even debate it. I know a lot of people like to shit on Carson Wentz. I, uh, it's like talking about an ex-girlfriend that you still, you know, kind of have a thing for and you're kind of, you know, salty the way things ended. And uh, it's really complicated for me. Um, Wentz was my guy. Uh, But he's inconsistent overall. That's the thing. And I'm willing to admit that. His highs are very high. His lows are very low. Um, he gets a little crazy, a little frantic extending the play. Um, I wouldn't call him injury prone, but his play style leads to a higher probability of injury. If that makes sense. He's a tough guy. He's not a fragile player, but he is willing to sprain both of his ankles on a single play. If it means picking up a first down and sometimes that's an issue. So let's get into, you know, the look and the personnel of this team this year, what they did this offseason, and let's, you know, keep this moving. The coaching staff is all the same from last year. Head coach Ron Rivera in his third year. Offensive coordinator Scott Turner, uh, Norv Turner's son, uh, was with Rivera in Carolina, returning as the OC here in Washington. And defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio. Now, let's pause for a second and talk about Jack Del Rio. Let's talk about Ron Rivera, too, I suppose. Del Rio first. So Jack Del Rio this offseason, you know, made some headlines, made a little news for his uh, Twitter action. Now, I don't like to dive too too deep into uh, politics on this show, and I'll try and keep my views on this subject level-headed and just give you guys the facts here. Um, You guys know about some of the controversy in this country over the last few years. Uh, some of the situations with Black Lives Matter movements and rallies and things like that, and the issue with the incident uh, January 6th of last year at the Capitol building, congressional hearings about that. There's a lot of stuff that I really don't want to talk about. The reason that I'm bringing this stuff up is because Jack Del Rio was being crucified by the media this offseason because... Um, He compared the congressional hearings of the January 6th riots on the Capitol to the um, like Black Lives Matter rallies that happened the summer before. His his tweet was, would love to understand the whole story about why the summer of riots, looting, burning and the destruction of personal property is never discussed. But this is hashtag common sense. 
I don't know, you know, what background you're from, Jack Del Rio, where that's considered common sense. I think a lot of people have different views on it than you do. And that was uh, um, pretty evident by the media's reaction, the Internet's reaction. Let's not spend too much time on this. I think it's just kind of funny because this Washington team has such a toxic culture. And let's just get this whole thing out of the way as well. You know, not only is Jack Del Rio pissing people off with his Twitter account, some people are calling for his jobs now, or his job. They wanted him to resign. Look, cancel culture. Let's not be taking people's jobs just for like comments and tweets and stuff. But also, Jack Del Rio, have a little bit more self awareness about what you're fucking putting out there. You know, I try and stay down the middle with shit like this. Um, let's move on to more of the toxic culture. Dan Snyder, I mentioned on the Eagles episode, what a piece of shit that guy is. Congress is also looking into him as far as uh, trying to examine more of the evidence of the toxic workplace culture that's going on within the Washington organization, front office, you know, harassment allegations, allegations of potentially using the cheerleaders of this organization essentially as like, I don't know, escorts for lack of a better term again lack of a better term kind of pimping them out to other executives and i'm not saying that he was forcing anyone to you know engage in any you know activities of the sexual nature or anything like that i'm just it was alleged you know maybe some topless photos maybe some kind of companionship going on I, I you know there's a lot of sketchy shit and a lot of rumors out there about this organization dan snyder uh again congress looking into him what does he do he hops on his yacht and he goes and sails over to europe and he says sorry i'm out of the country that weekend sorry can't be there already had a prior engagement this guy like if you created a, a vilified owner of a professional sports team in a movie people wouldn't believe it how much of an absolute sleazeball this guy is i'm torn on it because a i don't want him embarrassing the shield any more than he already is the league would be a better place if that if dan snyder just was abandoned in the middle of the mediterranean sea if his yacht were able to crash or whatever um, but at the same time, as long as he's the owner, this is going to be a dysfunctional organization, and that's good for the rest of the NFC East. So, you know, a little torn there. But between the ownership, between Jack Del Rio getting in trouble, there's a lot of, uh, again, toxic is the word for this organization. And if things don't go well on the field, I want to mention this just while we're in this conversation. Ron Rivera currently sits at plus 800 to be the first head coach fired this season. Uh, that's the fifth highest odds, fifth favorite to be uh, first coach fired. And I think it makes sense as far as this team kind of took a big gamble this offseason making the trade for Carson Wentz. They're paying his full salary, I believe, about 26 mil against the cap this year. That's kind of a big investment financially, and they also gave up multiple draft picks for him. And if that doesn't work, and you know, if this defense doesn't get back to be an elite like they were in 2020, because you know, Rivera's kind of a defensive guy, I think he could see a lot of blame. I don't think they make Del Rio the head coach because of all the PR trouble that he's gotten himself into, like I just mentioned. But Scott Turner, actually, I could see them giving a shot if they want to fire Rivera and give, give Turner like eight games at the back end of the year. Um, like if this team is off to a terrible start. I'm just kind of laying out like worst case scenario right now. Anyways, that's a lot of shit that we just went over. Let's get into the personnel. Let's talk about free agency real quick. Uh, biggest loss for this team was on the offensive line. 
Um, Pro Bowl level offensive guard Brandon Scherf, who's been with Washington since he was drafted quite a few years ago. Um, really one of the staples and building blocks of this team. He's no longer there. He went and signed with the Jags, I believe. Um, <laughs> we'll talk about, I get, let's just talk about it now. Andrew Norwell, the Jags' best offensive lineman, came over to Washington. So they essentially swapped offensive guards, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me because why don't you just keep the guy that you have? I don't know. Comes down to cash, I suppose. Norwell was cheaper, most likely, and the Jags wanted to spend as much as they could this offseason. That was pretty evident. Let's keep it going. Not that many big names here, but defensive tackle Tim Settle went to Buffalo. Defensive end Matt Ioannidis, who is a pretty key role, um, kind of that 3-4 in between uh, defensive end, defensive tackle, can play anywhere on the D-line. Um, he's gone. Quarterback Kyle Allen, who's been with Rivera for quite a few years in Carolina, and Washington is gone because Taylor Heineke is better than him. Offensive guard Jameel Douglas, Tight end Ricky Seals-Jones, who's currently the starting tight end for the Giants. I guess we'll talk about him tomorrow. And wide receiver DeAndre Carter, who's more of a special teams contributor, no longer on the team. They didn't sign that many guys, so we can do key additions really quick. I mentioned offensive guard Andrew Norwell, one of the better offensive guards in the NFL and the best, one of the best players on the entire Jags roster. Offensive guard Trey Turner, they also brought in, uh, I'm assuming trying to replace Scherf. Currently, he's actually second on the depth chart behind a man named Wes Schweitzer, who, honestly, I'm not that familiar with. Uh, and lastly, who else did they bring in here as I relook at my notes? Um, defensive end, F.A. Obata. And then Carson Wentz. Let's talk about the Wentz trade real quick. I've given my overall thoughts, kind of. He's definitely an upgrade at the QB position for this team, and I'll talk more about it during the fantasy breakdown. But they got Carson Wentz and pick 47 in this last draft. It was a second-round pick for um, a second-round pick this past year. So they swapped seconds. It was pick 47 for pick 42. Um, they also gave up a 2022 third and a 2023 conditional pick. It is a third-round pick. However, if Wentz plays over 70% of the snaps for the commanders this year, it becomes a second-round pick. Very similar to what was built into his trade with the Colts. The Eagles uh, had a condition <clears throat> where we would have gotten a second-round pick for him, but if he played over 70% of the snaps, we got a first-rounder, and he managed to stay healthy last year, um, so that worked out. You know, Wentz, again, labeled as injury-prone, not injury-prone. He's actually played over 16 games in a season, I think three or four times out of his six years in the NFL so far. People just like to rip him apart because he had like two back-to-back -back seasons in Philly where he had injury troubles. One was a both an ACL and PCL blowout, and then related to the ACL-PCL blowout, he had lower back injuries because he was rushed back to the field too early. If you wipe out that like, what is it, like 14-month stretch of his career, guy's been pretty sturdy. <clears throat> so what I'm saying is, 70% of snaps seems like an uphill battle for a guy like Wentz. I don't think it is. His only competition on this depth chart is uh, Taylor Heineke, who we saw last year is not a starter, and quarterback Sam Howell, who will get into the draft, but they took him the fifth round out of UNC. And a fifth round pick to me isn't challenging Carson Wentz. He's a starting quarterback in this league. He's been inconsistent, but he is not a bad football player. 
I gotta defend him a little bit still, guys. The guy just, the media hates him. Hates him. Anyways, um, we went over the Wentz trade. We went over the losses, the ads. They re-signed a few guys. Let's run through the names. Running back J.D. McKissick, most substantial re-sign here. I mentioned on the Buffalo episode, he got an offer from Buffalo. Washington matched, matched so he stayed at home. <clears throat> Left tackle Cornelius Lucas got brought back. Wide receiver Cam Sims, who's an interesting guy, he's buried on this depth chart, and they continue to add um, more talent and more draft capital into the receiver room where uh, Cam Sims is is not a guy that is really going to get many opportunities, but he's flashed at times when given those opportunities, and he's explosive. He makes plays every now and then. He's actually a guy that I've, I've rooted for in the past, um, but again, like the fourth receiver currently on the depth chart. <clears throat> uh, lastly, they re-signed cornerback Danny, Brown, or Danny Johnson. So now let's talk about the draft. I just mentioned their fifth-round pick was QB Sam Howell, but let's start at the top. Uh, Round one, pick 16 overall, wide receiver Jahan Dotson out of Penn State. Now, I'm a little torn on this guy. I'm hearing good things out of training camp. He looks smooth on film. He is, uh, you know, a field stretcher. He's a deep threat. Um, He, to me, a little undersized, game predicated on speed. Honestly, he reminded me a little bit of Jalen Rager coming into this draft, and I had my doubts a little bit as far as the year that Jalen Rager was drafted. There was a stacked receiving group of, you know, Justin Jefferson. Now I'm going to blank on that receiving class. It was, wasn't it? Uh, it was Ruggs, Judy, um, CD Lamb, Justin Jefferson. Yeah, like all like surefire first round draft picks. And then uh, Jalen Rager was the guy where it was like, maybe he slips into the back end of the first round. And then the Eagles went and took him ahead of Justin Jefferson, which I've been livid about for years. It reminded me of that. The reason I'm bringing it up is because in my, like Traylon Burks, Traylon Burks from Alabama was still on uh, the draft board when they took Dotson. And I had Burks going, maybe 10 picks ahead of Dotson. So it was surprising to me. It seems like you're passing on the more physically talented, um, bigger, stronger, more physical specimen for kind of a niche deep threat guy because you wanted to draft a deep threat, even though Burks might be the better overall player. That was my interpretation. Um, I think part of it was a move to anticipate maybe Terry McLaurin doesn't resign with us. So we got to do something here to add some speed. Um, as of right now, it gives them a pretty strong trio of receivers. It was just interesting to me because, again, reaching over Traylon Burks to me at the time seemed um, like a pretty typical Washington decision, if I can um, put it frankly. <clears throat> in the in the draft, <clears throat> as we keep going, defensive tackle uh, Fidarian Mathis out of Alabama in the second round. They love drafting uh, defensive linemen from Alabama as they have a few others on that team with Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen. <clears throat> and uh, Chase, uh, no, Chase Young went to Ohio State, my bad. Anyways, uh, moving on the draft, another key player that I want to talk about. Third round, they spent a pick on a running back out of Alabama also, Brian Robinson. And we can talk about this more in the fantasy breakdown, but it's interesting that they're drafting running backs still when they have Antonio Gibson and J.D. McKissick on the uh on the roster so that's that's a little tease for you 
Uh, round four, safety Percy Butler out of Louisiana. And again, round five, quarterback Sam Howell out of UNC. Was at one, you know, once upon a time within the last 12 months, uh, projected first round, possibly top 10 pick. And then all the QBs plummeted this year in the draft. I didn't expect him to slip to the fifth round. You know, close to the draft, I was hearing late second, maybe early third, and fifth surprises me, but none of these QBs were overwhelmingly uh, impressive this year in the draft. So, you know, some moves here, not that much. I mean, really, the identity of this offseason, I would say, is adding Wentz and Jahan Dotson to this team because it gives more firepower to an offense that was just straight up bad last year, right? So I guess that's the main takeaway here. Let's get into the schedule. Now, their schedule is pretty easy. That said, this is an inconsistent team that I think has the ability to lose games sometimes. Um, it's ranked sixth easiest in the, in the league because there are some gimmies on here. Let's just run through it, and then we di dissect it more like we usually do. <clears throat> Preseason. <clears throat> Excuse me, guys. I forgot my water, so I'm struggling here. Preseason Panthers, Chiefs, Ravens. Uh, and then in the opening of the regular season, they have the Jaguars at home. We move on. Lions, Eagles, Cowboys, Titans, Bears, Packers, Colts, Vikings, Eagles, Texans, Falcons, Giants. Giants again, but they have a bye week sandwiched in between, so they play the Giants two and three weeks. 49ers, Browns, Cowboys. <clears throat> so, some easy wins. Jags, Lions, maybe. Although, I kind of like the Lions week two at home uh, versus the Commanders. I kind of like that because I think Philly beats them week one. They're going to be hungry to get their first win of the season. I've told you guys I think Detroit's a little bit scrappier. But I'm just saying, worst teams they face. You know, Jags, Lions, Bears, Texans, Falcons, Giants twice. You know, those are some very winnable games. I think that they clearly are not better than the Cowboys or the Eagles. I think they're capable of pulling off a random upset here or there, but not really counting those as win. I think the Vikings are better. I think the Colts are better. The Packers, the Titans are all better. 49ers are better. They get the Browns at the end of the season, which, again, we're all playing ifs and buts and candies and nuts here, but I don't know how much Deshaun Watson is going to be suspended. So the fact that they get the Browns in Week 17 – if Watson's not gone the entire year, they're getting Watson at the end of that, so that's not super advantageous. And then they close with Dallas in Week 18. So it's kind of, to me, it's a little bit harder of a schedule than it looks on paper because although they do have, again, a number of you know lackluster teams here, their good opponents are really fucking good, in my opinion. You know, 49ers, Packers, Colts, Cowboys, Eagles, Titans, I think they could all beat the shit out of this team, you know, personally. Again, by week, week 14. So let's talk about it. Win totals eight and a half. Over plus 145, under minus 170. Now, I'm not going to lay the juice on a minus 170, but I lean, I lean under. I'm willing to lay minus 170 on a future if I really feel good about it. Like last year, I took the Packers over 10 wins minus 170 because in my opinion, that value was insane. They should have been at 11 and a half last year. Don't know why the books were so low on them because of the Rodgers drama from the summer, but the Packers were the easiest layup as far as futures and win totals last year. What I'm saying is if you get a value like that where it's minus 170, but you think it should be minus 250, go ahead and lay it. 
that's not how I feel about this. <clears throat> Excuse me, but I have said there's a handful of teams on there, including including four games against the Eagles and Cowboys, that I don't think Washington will be able to win. I lean under eight and a half this year due to uh, a lot of the things I've mentioned here, toxic culture, inconsistent quarterback play, downgraded offensive line, yada, yada, yada. Uh, their odds to win the division are plus 500. I really think it only happens if the Eagles and Cowboys both struggle injury-wise, I would say. Conference plus 3,100. Super Bowl, 70-1. to 1. Playoffs, yes, plus 165, no, minus 185. I think this team can be kind of a middle-in-the-pack, 7-9, to nine, maybe at the most 10 wins this year and sneaks in as a 7 seed, potentially if kind of the branches break the right way for this team. Um, but a lot of you know where my gut's at as far as taking the under on the wins and taking the no on the playoffs is a lot of these futures, these books know how to put the correct juice on them. If you have something that's at minus 170 or minus 185, I look at that as more of a sure thing than if you're taking like a single money line in a football game. Like if you wanted to take Washington to beat the Jags week one and it was minus 170 versus taking, you know, under eight and a half wins at minus 170. I feel like that number means more on an NFL future here in July than it would on a single game in September. Hope that makes sense. I think I explained that relatively well, but I'm not optimistic about these futures when you see that the books are putting such heavy odds on this team to essentially fail, right? So that's where I'm at. I want to transition into the fantasy conversation, and while we're doing that, I will, uh, I will, you know, give some overarching info as well. So we're obviously going to start the fantasy conversation with Carson Wentz, and there was a nugget that I wanted to bring up when we were talking about the trade that I failed to mention. So as far as Wentz's contract goes, I mentioned he's on the hook for about 26 mil in dead cap this year. But if the uh, Commanders, because I almost said Redskins for the 50th time this episode, don't think I've done it so far, so a quick pat on the back. Carson Wentz has zero guaranteed money past 2022. He's on contract with Washington through the 2024 season, but the next two years, you know, thank, you know, shout out Howie Roseman, actually. Howie doing Washington quite a few favors here. Uh, when when Carson initially signed this four-year deal with the Eagles, it seems like an eternity ago, um, we didn't give him any guaranteed money in the last two years of his contract in case we wanted to move on halfway through the deal. We actually moved on faster than that. Again, mixed emotions there for this guy. Um, but in hindsight, you know, financially, we're doing okay right now. What I'm saying is if this year doesn't go well, Washington can cut Wentz after this season with no dead cap. So this could... You know, he's on the books for three years. This could just be a one-year deal. They can trade him or cut him next offseason for virtually no financial cost. I thought that was worth bringing up. Now, that being said, I like Wentz for fantasy this year actually quite a bit. I really was torn on whether I'd be able to, you know, break down his fantasy value. But after going through the numbers, I really like him. I really do. So, quick honorable mention. I mentioned the uh, the backup QB is Taylor Heineke. They got a couple, they've got a bunch of running backs on the roster. Um, I'll talk about the three main ones, but running back Jarrett Patterson got playing time last year. 
um, is fourth string in the running back room right now. Wide receiver Cam Sims, I mentioned. Wide receiver Diami Brown, I, be- I believe, was a second or third round pick last year. He's on the depth chart, hasn't done much yet. Wide receiver Antonio Gandy-Golden, fourth round pick from 2020, hasn't done much yet. And the second string tight end is tight end John Bates. I believe he's a second year player. So again, back to Carson. I think he's got real fantasy value this year. Uh, the current average draft position for Carson Wentz is, is overall 183. Uh, he's going off the board as quarterback 25. Last year, being drafted 329 at QB 29. So expectations were pretty low for Wentz coming off being benched in Philadelphia and replaced by Jalen Hurts and a, a spring full of negative headlines and publicity and rumors and reports about a toxic personality and bad leadership and p- being put into a run-first offense with a strong defense, the, the fantasy outlook and expectations for Carson Wentz were not strong. I was pretty surprised to find out Carson Wentz was the overall quarterback 14 in fantasy football last year. Again, with all of those factors coming into play, with that team basically being entirely built around Jonathan Taylor and Jonathan Taylor scoring, what, 75 touchdowns last year, Carson Wentz still finished as a QB 14. I found that to be impressive. He played a full season, again, not injury prone, just willing to sacrifice his body and try to play through it, which is maybe sometimes just as bad, I guess, but... He's not this. We're not talking about Mr. Glass over here, guys. He was the QB 20 in uh, points per game uh, at the yeah the QB position last year. And um, we'll break down his consistency in a second. Those numbers aren't great. Uh, but again, run first offense, new situation this year. Actually, better pass catching weapons in Washington than he had in Indy last year. Carson Wentz has the fourth easiest schedule for fantasy football against quarterbacks. And I've mentioned on this episode that they have invested at the receiver position in giving him weapons. He has competent pass-catching running backs. The offensive line, pretty middle of the pack. Warren Sharp has it ranked 12th overall in the league. Um, And I mentioned that they lost really the focal point of that line with Brandon Scherf. Sometimes a bad offensive line can almost lead to some more production for fantasy football. I was trying to say that in a way that it makes it doesn't make zero sense because it sounds contradictory. But Wentz is the kind of guy that when things break down in the pocket, he's going to run around. And he has mobility to be able to pick up some rushing yards for you. And it also leads to the opportunity to have some of these extended broken plays where maybe he can find a Terry McLaurin or a Jahan Dotson 50 yards down the field and give you some of those boom weeks that you're looking for in fantasy. I think if this defense is anything close to how bad they were last year at 25th overall in points per game, Carson's going to need to score to keep this team in games. Now, I expect them to be more improved. They should be healthier. Chase Young is coming back, and we'll see if he can return to superstar form for this team. But um, again, you know, the linebacking core, relatively unproven. Um, The secondary is... Good, not great. And really, if this defensive line doesn't get back to being you know, extremely dominant, there are some possibilities where this defense is just mediocre again, most likely. And so <clears throat> I think Wentz, again, with the situation around him, 
Uh, Antonio Gibson and J.D. McKissick can both catch passes. McLaurin, Samuel, and Dotson at receiver. It's not a bad setup. That easy schedule. And I really think Wentz is going to put up better numbers than he did last year in a run-first heavy offense. And he still finished QB 14 last year. He's being drafted, again, QB 25, virtually free in your drafts at overall 183. You can take him with your last pick in a fo- in a fantasy draft and maybe have like a top 10 fantasy QB this year, honestly, just based on volume. I think he's going to have to put up big numbers, and he's got an easy schedule. Last year, he was a top 6 QB 11.8% of the time. That was 24th most. Um, 35.3% of the time, he finished top 12, 17th most. But again, you know, 24th highest top 6, 17th highest top 12, and he's being drafted at the QB 25 this year. Those still beat his average draft position. So I know that the numbers and stats weren't outstanding last year, but I think his situation for fantasy is actually pretty significantly upgraded. Let's talk about the running backs. I mentioned Gibson McKissick and also rookie third-round pick Brian Robinson. Now, they have a pretty easy schedule, too. Also fourth easiest for fantasy running backs, which I was surprised to see. Their entire skill position, super easy schedule is all top 10 at the skill positions. So, again, that's part of the reason why I'm into Wentz is because all of his skill players have easy schedules as well. And... I see this similar to kind of how I broke down the Eagles offense, where it might be difficult to predict where the points are coming from with the receiving and running backs core, because they do spread it around a lot. But the QB should benefit, and this is another quarterback with, um, you know, potential rushing upside. So again, back to the running backs. Antonio Gibson is the uh, household name in this backfield. He's being drafted 37th overall, uh, running back 19. Last year being drafted 17th overall at running back 12 and finishing as the running back 10. Uh, He played 16 games last year and finished 17th in points per game at the running back position. Yet his stock in drafts has fallen off quite a bit. And I think the reason for that is because they went out of their way this offseason to re-sign J.D. McKissick and to draft Brian Robinson. Antonio Gibson's had issues with fumbling in his career. Brian Robinson, actually one of his more uh, toted traits as a college prospect was his ball security. That's interesting to me. If Gibson has a little bit of fumbleitis, especially early in this season, and they decide to put Robinson in and he plays well, we could be in trouble for Gibson. And I don't like saying this because Gibson's actually a guy that I've owned in both of his first two years in fantasy. I drafted him in every league I'm in in the seventh round his rookie year, and I made him my keeper last year because he was being drafted third. You know, I just said 17th overall in ADP, second round pick last year after getting him in the seventh. Good value. I recognize the talent as a rookie. He's a former converted wide receiver out of Memphis, six foot two, 225. He's got athleticism. But he's been a little bit inconsistent. He's been a little bit touchdown reliant, and he hasn't gotten the work in the passing game that you would like to see out of a guy with such a strong receiving skill set. And again, the fact that they decided to re-sign J.D. McKissick and not give the full load of that receiving role to Gibson gives me concerns. So although he finished so strong last year as the RB10, This backfield's kind of murky, and I mentioned that Robinson is a guy that could come in and steal touches potentially. I just don't think that I want to spend a third or fourth round pick on Gibson with all the question marks that I just laid out there. As talented as I think he is, 
I don't think this team drafts a running back in the third round and re-signs McKissick if they're fully committed to Gibson, and that's a red flag for me. I think I'm out. Robinson's a guy that you can get free in your drafts, going RB61, 178 overall, and he's got a lot of upside. He's You're probably not going to draft him because it's going to take a few weeks. Keep an eye on him. Put him on your watch list. Pay attention to the snap shares in Washington for the running backs because this is a situation where, again, I do believe Antonio Gibson's a very good football player, but weird shit happens in the NFL. Weird shit happens in fantasy football. We could be looking at Brian Robinson coming into 2023 as the lead back for the uh, Washington Commanders, not the Redskins. (laughs) Um, J.D. McKissick, I'm not drafted in fantasy, Although he's been relevant, he only played 11 games last year, finishes the RB37, so he's a top 30 guy if he plays a full season. Again, most of his work off of receiving. Being drafted, uh, running back 51, overall 152 this year, not much different from last year. Being drafted 45 overall at the running back position. Uh, Finished 41st in points per game last year. Nothing special, really limited upside. You're going to need a touchdown for him to really give you production in any given week. Let's talk consistency. We don't have info on Brian Robinson because he's a rookie. Antonio Gibson, I mentioned RB10 last year, finished top 12 at the running back position 37.5% of the time, 17th most consistent in the NFL. Finished running back 2, 18.8% of the time, 35th most consistent. So he was top 24, 56.3% of the time. That's 21st most consistent. Not bad. Uh... Running back three, 25% of the time, busted out of the top 36, 18.8% of the time. Relatively low bust rate. That's pretty good. It's pretty good. Um, J.D. McKissick, 18.2% in the top 12, 34th most consistent. He was a lot better as an RB2. I mentioned that pass catching work and touchdown dependency. He was RB2, 27.3% of the time. That was 17th most consistent in the NFL. You know, he should still have a pretty firm grasp on the receiving role. I think whether it's Robinson or Gibson as the um, two-down back, McKissick's role is pretty safe on this offense, I think. That's what they have him there for, and they went out of their way to match the offer with the Bills this offseason. So he was a top twer- uh, excuse me, as I go through puberty. He was a top 24 running back 45.5% of the time. That was 26 most consistent. So pretty decent RB2 production from this backfield and even being able to support two, um, you know, low-end RB2s in terms of consistency. He was an RB3 18.2% of the time, higher bust rate than Gibson, busting 35.4% of the time. Again, I talk about that touchdown volatility. So, you know, breaking down the running backs, let's keep it moving. Let's do pass catchers and let's get out. We got three pretty relevant receivers. I mentioned this is um, kind of a murky depth chart in terms of guys like Cam Sims, Diami Brown, Dax Mine, um, Antonio Gandy-Golden, really all kind of guys that could establish themselves as the three or four in this offense. But the three main guys we're going to talk about real quick here is Terry McLaurin, Curtis Samuel, and Jahan Dotson. Some of you guys might not even remember that Curtis Samuel was on this team after being injured almost the entire season last year. I looked up his game logs. Technically, he's on the books for playing five games last year, but he scored 3.8 fantasy points on the season. So I think it was a situation where like he'd go in for one snap, figure out that he's still injured and come out. Like it wasn't he didn't really play 5 games. 
So we're not going to talk about his consistency ratings. We don't have consistency ratings on Jahan Dotson either since he's a rookie. So this wide receiver recap is basically going to be all about Terry McLaurin. And I'm in on Terry this year. I am in. He's currently being drafted 44th overall. So you can get him like 4th, 5th round in the 10-man, 4th round in a uh, 12-man. And I think that's fair. That's basically his draft cost um, every year of his NFL career, except for his rookie year when he was being undrafted and had a breakout. Um, he's being, excuse me, he's we're getting him at a discount this year as he was being drafted 33rd overall in wide receiver 10 in 2021. Although he has a better quarterback. That's strange to me. That's the first kind of red flag for me. Like, I think I'm going to maybe be in the minority of like having optimism for this passing game because of the addition of Wentz. But Wentz, to me, is so much better than, obviously, Heineke and the guys I've mentioned. But even like middling guys in the league, like a Jimmy Garoppolo and a Baker Mayfield and some of these, like... Wentz for fantasy purposes and from a talent perspective is still so much above those guys on my scale where it I don't view Terry McLaurin as having like DJ Moore syndrome this year. I think those are two really good comparisons because they're around the same age. They get drafted around the same place in drafts every year and they always kind of underproduce or disappoint because of low touch died, excuse me, touchdown production and because of like really bad and consistent quarterback play between like Sam Darnold and Cam Newton and Will Greer and PJ Walker and oh everybody in Carolina. And so what I'm saying is um, DJ Moore got Baker this off season. I don't really see that as that much of a move needle mover. I can't talk today. I'm getting mad at myself, guys. Let's calm down. I do see Carson Wentz as a substantial upgrade to support the fantasy value of Terry McLaurin. So we're getting him um, a full round later this year, even though he has better quarterback. So I'm in on Terry. The receivers for this team have the ninth easiest fantasy schedule, along with tight end, ninth easiest as well. So Terry, like I said, disappointing last year, 25th overall receiver finish as being drafted the wide receiver 10. He played a full season and was 34th in points per game. He's playing with Taylor Heineke, man. This team was just bad, and he doesn't really have a shot. He's one of the more talented receivers in the NFL. I think he's a top 15 guy talent-wise. I wanted Philly to draft him really bad, not to make it about the Eagles, but I do that all the time, guys. You know it. Um, yeah, we took J.J. Arcega-Whiteside over Terry McLaurin and D.K. Metcalf, and I might get it tattooed on my back because it's already burning a hole in my uh, heart and soul as it is. I might as well just ink myself up with it and make it official. Terry McLaurin is a stud. I remember watching the combine the year that he came out and thinking, man, these guys from Ohio State, Terry McLaurin and Paris Campbell, they're going to be electric in the NFL. Paris Campbell on the Colts injury uh, problems have derailed the first couple years of his career, but Terry's been nothing short, actually better than my expectations. I thought his route running reminded me of Calvin Ridley and Odell Beckham coming out of Ohio State. He's elite, and now he's got a real NFL quarterback. So I'm in on Terry at his draft cost. Curtis Samuel and Jahan Dotson essentially being undrafted. Samuel, wide receiver 75. Dotson, wide receiver 56. Dotson is a guy people are taking flyers on in like the 13th, 14th round of their draft, and Samuel's not being touched. I agree you shouldn't touch Samuel until you see something from him. Dotson, if you want to take a shot on rookie, go for it. I mentioned Wentz has the ability to extend plays, and 
you know, find guys downfield. So it's a flyer. I can't really, I'm probably not going to be targeting him. There's probably other guys I'll find at that range in the drafts, but he's got a lot of speed. He's a, he's a deep threat and Wentz likes to air it out when shit breaks down and say, fuck it. So maybe a dart throw. Lastly, uh, Logan Thomas is the tight end for this team. And he's not a guy I'm excited about for fantasy at all. Um, He's being drafted tight end 27, undrafted in every 10 and 12 man league at 196 overall. Last year, he was being drafted eighth round, 82 overall, and tight end seven. Disappointed on that. Only played five games, didn't stay healthy, not his fault. Overall, tight end 44. He actually finished 10th in points per game. He had a couple decent weeks there um, as we're looking at uh, being a top six tight end 16.7% of the time, 18th highest and being a top 12 guy uh, 50% of his games. Again, only a five-game sample size. Uh, Seventh most consistent, but again, a small sample size. So that's pretty much it. I forgot to go over Terry's consistency charts. I'll let you know, 23% in the top 12, 22nd most. Never finished a receiver two on the season, um, which is weird. And he had a super high bust rate. So... He only finished top 24, 23.5% of the time last year. That was 51st in consistency. I'm just, again, I'm throwing this shit out as far as he's got Wentz. Now it's a better situation. You know, he fell outside the top 36 receivers 64% of his games last year. It just doesn't add up with the talent, so I just don't care. I'm in on Terry this year. If you need a... Wide receiver in the late third, maybe mid-fourth round, who's got wide receiver one upside in your drafts, I think he's a really good guy to take a shot on on as kind of a post-hype sleeper who could really break out this year. So that's it. Uh, Somehow we're staying at 45 minutes on all these episodes. Pretty consistent. I guess that's a good thing. I hope you guys are enjoying these. I am going to end this one, and we will be back tomorrow with SGR73 finishing the NFC East and breaking down the New York Giants. Appreciate y'all, love y'all, and remember to ramble on.